Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. In 2017, the New York Times published a story that exposed a highly secretive Pentagon unit that studied UFOs. It was known as ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. It was directed by a man named Luis Elizondo. Elizondo was a former special agent and senior counterintelligence officer for the Department of Defense. After leaving the program, Elizondo helped facilitate the release of three videos taken by Navy pilots of unidentified aerial objects, which were officially released by the Department of Defense and acknowledged as genuine unknown aerial phenomena. One of those cases Elizondo investigated while in the Pentagon, and one of the videos he would subsequently help release was from an event known as the Nimitz UFO incident. For several days in November of 2004, a Navy missile cruiser sailing around 100 miles off the coast of Southern California detected strange radar signals emanating from an object in the sky. The signals were erratic and didn't seem to match those given off by known aircraft. The Navy then deployed fighter jets to catch a closer glimpse and one succeeded in recording a video of what is now known as the Tic Tac UFO. Countless officers witnessed the UFO activity that day, and one of those witnesses was Chief Petty Officer and Chief Master at Arms, Sean Cahill. Today, we speak to both Luis Elizondo and Sean Cahill. This is Somewhere in the Skies, the next chapter. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. Welcome, everyone, to Somewhere in the Skies. And this has been an interview a really long time in the making. And it even got better in the last couple of days. So I'm not going to waste any time. We have a ton of listener questions I want to get to. So right now, for the first time ever, two first-time guests to Somewhere in the Skies, I have Lou Elizondo and Sean Cahill. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. Morning, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, well, let's not waste any time, guys. I mean, the fact that you're in a room together, uh, that's going to be a very obvious question that I think a lot of listeners are going to want to know. We will get there. But um, let's just let's go right into it. I don't want to assume that all my viewers and listeners know who all my guests are. So if each of you could just give like a brief rundown of who you are, what you do. Um, Lou, would you mind starting with your military background and how you got involved with ATIP? 
Yeah, uh, uh, obviously had a, a long career with the uh, United States government, primarily in the world of national security, spent a little time uh, in uniform uh, in the United States Army, and then was kind of pulled away and recruited into some special activities. Uh, spent the good portion of my earlier career uh, in Latin America, area of operation, uh, chasing drug dealers and, and performing counterinsurgency operations. Uh, and then um, kind of moved around a little bit and uh, after 9-11 was focused primarily on counterterrorism operations and, uh, and counterespionage. Um, I, was a, uh, I was a trained special agent, uh, counterintelligence special agent. Worked a lot of joint investigations with a lot of great folks and a lot of great organizations. And um, in 2008, I was asked to be part, based upon my counterintelligence skills, be part of a, a program uh, that at the time was very, wasn't very well known at all. It was called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, uh, which now I guess more people are familiar with as ATIP. And uh, in 2010, I I was responsible. I took over that program. Um, let me caveat when I say took over it. We had some tremendous fine men and women uh, working that program. And if anybody's ever worked with me before, they know I run a very flat organization. Um, because I was the most senior guy, I was I was obviously the, the guy in charge, but um, it was really a team effort. And I want to make sure that's clear. I think a lot of people think that, oh, you know, you sit in a big chair and you just direct traffic. That's not that's not at all how this worked. We were a team from the beginning and uh, to the day I uh, I resigned my position in 2017 uh, out of protest. Um, it was a very difficult decision for me. Uh, I was working for the time uh, for Secretary Jim Mattis, who was, in my opinion, a and still is a war hero. Uh, this is a, an individual I had the honor and privilege to serve with uh, in combat. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I was part of a bureaucracy that wouldn't allow me to report certain information up to the top brass. And um, as a result, I, I subsequently resigned in 2017. And then from then on, I've been engaged in this, in this effort in a, in a, in a quasi-private role uh, as a private citizen. Um, unfortunately, I still have my security clearance, so I, <laughs> I have to be careful what I say. Um, obviously, I, I can't discuss anything classified, but in a nutshell, there you go. Uh, that's that's kind of who I am. I'm also a Gemini, and I like long walks on the beach. And <laughs> favorite color? Uh, black. I knew it. I knew it. I just I knew it. Um, all right, Sean, give it to us, brother. I know you guys met, and um, you were both on obviously on unidentified on the History Channel, and you guys got to go to Guadalupe Island. But give us the precursor to all of that, um, your time in the Navy and uh, what you were involved in in 2004, if you don't mind. Sure. As it stands right now, I've been retired for about five years from the United States Navy. I was a, uh, I retired as a chief master at arms. Um, at the time of the Tic Tac incident in 2004, I, I was uh, the chief master at arms of the USS Princeton. That equates to being the chief law enforcement officer on board. Um, an interesting Caveat to that was I was also standing watch on the bridge as a conning officer and junior officer of the deck to help my uh, department head fill a hole that he had. It's not normally a position that a law enforcement officer on board a ship usually has to has to fill. So it was unusual to have somebody like me in that place and in that position at that time. Um, we're all pretty much familiar with the Tic Tac incident. If you want to go into that more, than we, we can. But my my background is uh, in anti-terrorism law enforcement investigations and. Um, including uh, vehicular accidents, aeros or, uh, aircraft accidents, and things like that. So uh, upon meeting Lou, we, um, 
we hit it off and beyond unidentified we've kept in touch since and um have have uh have have kind of uh forged out a friendship that has, uh, has led to uh to a little bit more than just uh beers and jokes you know i think it's important that when people understand you know kind of kind of how we got together it's not uncommon that people with military and or law enforcement experience um, you know, you tend to gravitate towards each other because of the common experiences you share throughout your career. And, right. you know, in some cases it can be a little bit isolating uh, because, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that you can talk to about those type of things. So when you find them, you know, you have this instant bond almost that this is camaraderie that you share with your, your, your brothers and sisters who wore a uniform, whether it's a blue uniform, a green uniform, a white uniform, it doesn't really matter. Uniforms, a uniform, you serve, you serve. And, um, you know, that for us, we, it's funny because I, I, I don't want to speak on, on behalf of Sean, of course, but we, we, we have fundamentally very different personalities, yet we have the same mission. And a lot of people, you know, will often ask, well, you know, you guys, you guys seem so opposite. And we've always looked at that as a strength um, because we, we approach things from different, fundamentally different perspectives. And that's a good thing. You know, people will often wear, where I'm looking at things, you know, very, very analytically and conclusively, Sean's on a little bit different journey. And I'll let Sean, you know, he can explain to you what his journey is. But uh, we we both, but we're both on the same path, if that makes sense. And I think there's a lot of goodness in that. And and you find that in this community. This is one thing I tell people about, about social media and the UFO Twitter world. You know, we can all have different opinions and different perspectives and different approaches. But when you put all those together, you have a very, very formidable force and an influential force that is now playing out as we speak. You see the movement we've had in the last three years. And a lot of that is is due to this unified effort of this, you know, ragtag band we call we call UFO Twitter or UAP research, you know, enclave or whatever we want to give it. But it's real and it's alive and it's, and it's breathing and it's growing and it's making a difference. And I mean, I think you're right. I think there's an intimacy that's involved with, um, uh, you know, with the military and you guys sort of um, banding together and um, and here in the UFO world of people experience the weirdest stuff that they can explain together. And that's something you'll always share. So I completely understand how even if you are opposites in your approaches or your your methods or even your belief systems, uh, how that can build a bond that like nothing can be broken after that. I mean, it's the same for me and a lot of why I got into this topic. I've made some of the most amazing friends through this who uh, will challenge you along the way and um, even change your beliefs sometimes. But um, I guess since I have both of you here, uh, you did s- investigate uh, the, the area where the Tic Tac event uh, happened. And uh, I, I'd like to know, Besides that investigation that you two went on there, where you were able to finally speak to civilians, Lou, which I think is also an integral part of uh, the the work you're doing now, could you kind of walk us through? Um, okay, so let's take the Tic Tac event. What would an A tip version of that investigation look like versus what you were able to do um, after that with with Sean and a lot of other people? What would that look like from A tip to now? Yeah, I think the A-tip approach would be your typical, and I hate to use the word sterile, but but sterile government approach to something. I've always said, just the facts, ma'am, kind of guy. That has always been my approach. Um, and you're only really looking at under Title 10 authorities, the people that we could talk to were military personnel. 
now what Sean and I, been, and, and I have been able to do now that we are our civilians, we can talk to a whole bunch of other quote unquote uh, trained observers um, that are not military, not law enforcement, not government affiliated to get additional information that while in ATIP we weren't able to do. So what do I mean by other trained observers? Well, Sean and I had the honor and privilege of speaking with a lot of the local fishermen in the area. And these are, these are individuals who have lived in these waters there for, for not only their entire life, but for generations. And if there is an expert on, on the ocean at that, you know, at, at concerning that area, it is a local fisherman, probably even more so than, than DOD military personnel. Yeah, we have the technology, but these folks, in order to survive, need to really read the ocean. They need to understand and have an intimate relationship with the ocean. And they know the difference between, you know, we look in the water and we say, that's a shark. Well, they look in the water and say, actually, that's a six-foot black tip versus a five-foot hammerhead versus a, an eight-foot great white uh, that's on a migration pattern of XYZ. And, you know, by the way, they hang out here at this day on this, these particular months. They are experts in their own right. They have to for survival. They have to understand, you know, how how the fishing migration works and other other boats on the ocean and whatnot. So when you get a chance to talk to these individuals and they're describing to you the same thing that are being described by, by trained military personnel, but they're describing it from a perspective of, you know, uh, um, as, as, as a fisherman, as somebody who knows the waters, you get another perspective that you don't necessarily get when you're talking to, let's say, uh, uh, a Navy petty chief or someone like that. It's not necessarily better or worse. It's just another data point that you can overlay. And, uh, you know, you might might find yourself learning a thing or two. I'll turn it over to Sean because I know Sean's got a really good perspective on this. Yeah, absolutely. For a lot of, um, of, of, of your home. Uh, Lou uses it uh, as well. I use it when I'm trying to discuss um, the fact that this is an unknown and an unknown can possibly represent a threat. But it's also a good metaphor for how how in touch we are with our surroundings and our environment. Many of us spend, the, we, especially in the last year, spent a lot of time within our homes. Um, if you walk through a room in your home, you know if your furniture has moved, you know if things are changed, even if, if pictures are slightly off kilter. So a lot of people don't necessarily understand what a trained observer is, but you're a trained observer in your own home environment. And these fishermen and military personnel live in a very dynamic environment, home environment. And so their ability to recall and 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 um, and and build a picture that you can see for an investigation is at a very high level because they are they have all of these vectors coming in at all times due to safety and other other things like that. In your home, you're the master, you know. So it, they're the master of these dynamic environments. I agree wholeheartedly, and it's been very helpful to have those different perspectives. Absolutely. And I mean, I'll, I'll give you a small example with me. I went to investigate a case out in uh, Michigan over uh, Lake Superior. And, you know, I spent so much time there with the primary witness and trying to guess and theorize about what it could be. And, um, you know, his other buddy, a local fisherman that was there was like, well, there's this ship that passes every day through this channel. Um, maybe we should get in touch with them. They, they, they were there during the event. And that just, that never even, you know, came into my mind. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, let's go to the people who that is their home on the water. So, you know, we got in touch with the ship. They observed what the anomaly was, the phenomena, and uh, we took it from there. So I think you guys are right. I think there's a, um, it's good to know that the work can continue after the official investigation by uh, 
by the government. Um, more on a personal level with you guys. I, I'd love to know if you're willing to share. Uh, Lou, what is your family, your friends, your colleagues, what do they think about what you did, what you're doing now? And same with you, Sean. Like, how did that event in 2004 affect your life um, with your whether it's friends, significant others. I love hearing the human story to all this. So whoever wants to go first, if you're willing to share. I'm going to let Sean go first. Uh, I, I really kind of suck at giving my own personal perspectives. <laughs> um, you know, Sean's a lot better at it than I am. So I, I'm going to hear what he has to say. I think I know what he's going to say, but I'll let him go Fair first. Enough. And then maybe I'll have the courage to, to share with you some of my thoughts. It's been a hyperbolic journey from the day that the um, the New York Times article came out and when I first saw Lou walk out on the stage and then to see him walk down the pier and shake hands with him um, to today. And I feel like I'm finally kind of coming back to ground. Uh, my feet are on the ground again um, and I'm down to earth with the process. So I, I have some cleanup to do over the last couple of years. So you might've found me at a point where I might've blamed other people uh, within my sphere um, for how they felt or, or or what they saw, but um, I've received a great deal of love and support um, across the board. Uh, I've received very little um, negativity from people. Um, from my my side of the family, so to speak, uh, it's been hard for them to accept because it has come with, uh, with some personality changes, but those are also inherent to me retiring from the military and, um, and overcoming uh, and, and dealing with post-traumatic stress. Um, and anxiety that stemmed from a career that might have been counterintuitive to the person that I am at heart that was still important enough to me for me to do. Um, you got me feeling a little emotional right now, and I'm that guy who has no problem showing that. But uh, it's not easy to translate these experiences um, into rational ways of expression uh, for people who have not had experience in that realm. So it's very important to me that I don't alienate anyone any further. Um, I've cracked a couple of people's eggs with 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 some ideas, and, and I I feel like in retrospect that was uh, irresponsible. To 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 add a UFO event to a transformative experience of leaving the military, I, I can only imagine the layers that that added to everything you experienced, Sean. So I I completely um, I, I respect that that you're willing to be so out there with your feelings because, you know, we, we, we always assume here in the civilian world that you guys are just so stoic and strategic and you never show emotion. That's what a true soldier is. But um, I think it's amazing throughout these last few years, as we've gotten to know the both of you, um, whether it's on television or in interviews to see that human side, because it plays such a big role in all of this. So um, yeah, Lou, is there anything you want to add to that on the, the human mm. side of what you're doing? Um, you know, for people who know me, uh, I mean, look, let's face it. I, I literally live in nowhere, Wyoming, uh, in the middle of nowhere. And that's by choice. Um you know, I often tell people it's uh, it, I love humanity. It's humans I don't particularly like. Uh, mm. You know, I spent a career seeing really the bad side of, of individuals. And um, it's it's been a very tough journey because at least when you're in the government, you're protected by that government apparatus. But when you're outside, uh, you know, you're you're fair game for anybody out there who wants to take a shot at you. 
and you know you're always trying to take the moral high road you know you you, you try to 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 lead by action and not words um you know we're all human we all fail sometimes that's the reality of life you asked me in the beginning what my family thought about this and you know i'm very blessed my family supported me on this journey i don't know anybody else who would have because i first of all if i was in, in their shoes i would have said hell no you're not leaving a great career to go do this just to have a conversation with the American people when 99% of them are going to think you're crazy. You know, that they'll never understand or appreciate what you've been through to, to have, to get to the point where you can have this conversation. Um, you know, let's face it. A lot of people are armchair quarterbacks. It's easy to sit back in your easy chair and get on a keyboard and tell the world what you think about something. It's another thing to put your keyboard down, stand up, get your ass off the couch and actually do something about it um, and, you know, risk everything. Your, everything that you've ever worked for, your credibility, your reputation, your retirement, your clearance. I mean, it's I, I'm not saying I, I, there's other people that wouldn't do it because a lot of people did do it, just like Sean and others. So uh, I just would tell people up front that, if, you know, if you if you think it's easy, it's it's it's. It's not easy. There's a lot of things I would recommend you get involved with that are a lot easier than this. Um, I guess that'd be my perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, coming from experience, too, and no, I'm not military, but um, as a quote unquote journalist, I was told for years, like, don't do this, man. Like, what are you what are you doing? Like, you're yeah, going to totally. Ruin. Right. Right. And I think what's changed and it's because of the work that you two are doing. Uh, you have vindicated so much for us out there that have been screaming from the rooftops for years. Like something's going on. Like, and I'm not saying it's one thing or the other alien interdimensional time travels, whatever. Like that's a journey we're going to be taking probably for the rest of our lives of trying to uncover that. But um, I mean, for Sean, what you did for so many military people, um, to empower them to come forward. I remember when your show aired, I had a Navy serviceman reach out who had five uh, triangular UFO sightings over a naval air station. And he never reported it because the first time he tried, he was told, stop drinking. And uh, dude, I mean, that was it for me. The minute that guy came to me and was like, this happened, um, you're the first person I'm telling, like, you've already made a difference. So I have to commend you guys on that. It's very humbling. Um, I, I left out something that's, that's very easy to overlook because they're so close to me. Um, my wife and my children uh, have always been, they've lifted me up. They've supported me. Uh, they support me right now. And uh, that made it easy for me. So I don't want to gloss over that. Um, I really appreciate uh, that sentiment. Um, it's not easy. It wasn't easy then. Um, I've been called crazy by people I love um, just for having been witness to something. Um, so if if what we're doing and the risks that we're willing to take are able to help other people heal and other people to come forward, then that means everything to me. Um, being able to communicate your, your emotions and your feelings in a manner that doesn't have to hurt someone else leads to a reduction of harm and a reduction of stress and a reduction of trauma. And I don't want to see more trauma brought to this subject. We've had we've had enough muddy waters. We've had enough explosive egos and and long term, um, pardon me, the histrionics that that need to be put to bed. We need more integrity. Um, 
And I intend to help provide that if I'm able. And I know Luis does. Um, he's he's not going to promote himself. So I'll tell you right now that he's he's a team. Member. Don't listen. What about to say? Don't listen to him. He's, he's, he's a, he is a, he is a team member. He he believes in the pack. He believes in the team. Um, he refuses to let me even put him one inch higher than myself uh, on any kind of pedestal. He won't even let me lay a carpet down in front of him to kind of step up on because the guy is so team oriented. So he he's an empowering force in this community and. Um, I want to introduce him to people. I want to introduce yeah. Lou to people. So I look at it this way. This is a team effort. And the only reason why we are able to collectively succeed is because we're all doing this together. We all have a role. It's like a tool bag, right? You don't use a hammer if you need a screwdriver and you don't use a screwdriver to do a hammer's job. You know, we all have a role. In this. We all have our, our, our strengths and our weaknesses. And we need, all, we, we need everybody on the boat. Everybody. Um, that includes everybody out there, your audience that's listening to this, that includes you, uh, because this is a topic that involves all of us, and no one owns the narrative. No one uh, has the answer, and I think that's been a challenge we've been faced with for the last well, decades, uh, in fact, because people have, have sold themselves out. They started on a journey very nobly and then wound up getting caught up uh, with the, I guess, the, the notion of, of fame or importance or status or stature. And they wind up, they wind up selling themselves out. They wind up selling you out. They wind up selling your audience out because they go down this preconceived notion, this narrative and begin to realize, Hey, I can make a buck off this. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's dangerous. Now, do I, I necessarily blame them? You know, it happens to a lot of people. It's quite human trait. Yeah, it's a human trait. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So it's important for, for me to make sure everyone knows they're on the journey with us. We're all on the boat together, and we all have an oar that which, for which we can row. And, uh, you know, I might be wearing a bright purple jacket while I'm doing it, but I'm still rowing the boat like everybody else. That's all. Uh, and everybody is it has just as much important role to play as myself and Sean and you and everybody. And I think it's it's um, I think that for me is 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 why we've succeeded. You know, a lot of people you look and say, well, UFO Twitter really doesn't do much. Actually, well, <laughs> they write Congress. Actually, they email the people in the media and the press saying it's OK to have this conversation. Uh, what people don't realize what composes this 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 motley crew we call UFO Twitter you know, it's very formidable. You have very powerful business people that are involved in this this little enclave. You have very senior government officials that are hiding their 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 identities under pseudos. But make no mistake, they're reading this every day because they're trying to get a pulse, a heartbeat on 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 the sentiment of people about this topic. Right? You have people in the media that are watching this this UFO Twitter that are part of it. I mean, this is. I'm not saying this has never happened before, but I don't recall a time where you have had a grassroots movement, social media movement like this that has had so much influence on the big picture. And this is an international community. It's not just people who speak English. It's not just people here in America. You have everybody from around the world in Ireland, the UK and Italy and Japan and India and everywhere. The whole world is part of this. And to me, um, look, I've, I've made a living off of working with 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 A teams, with winning teams. Um, and I said in the very beginning, the the your success or failure is dependent upon you being able to have a winning team. 
man, I, we've got the dream team. That's that's yeah. exactly what we've got on our hands, and it's making a big difference. Right. Well, hey, I think you either just, Lou and Sean, you just boosted a lot of egos, or uh, you got a lot of people paranoid. Either one, I think. Ryan, is, uh... Ryan, I got to tell you, based <laughs> on interacting with these folks a lot, I think we just empowered a lot of hearts. Because I'm going to give them that these that's a really good way to look one at of those folks. These, these people that we're dealing with have integrity. Our community, you know, they want, they're not looking, they're not looking to go back where we were. They're yeah. looking to go ahead to where we want to be together. Right. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. Well, you did mention teamwork. Um, I have never received this many listener questions um, as when I announced that Lou, you were going to be on and Sean. So um, I'd love to run through some of these with you guys, if you don't mind. Um, you know, and this comes from a community of very guarded people who have been, um, you know, had their hearts broken so many times in this field for so long. So um, some of these might be a lot more uh, a brutal than my my forgiving approach to interviews. So Lou, you said, ask me anything, brother. So let's let's just go down the list here. Um, sure. Rob on Twitter asked, Lou, did you leave TTSA on good terms? And do you still believe in their mission? And uh, do you plan on still collaborating with these guys? What can you tell us in that no. sector of all this? T- TTSA and I remain really good friends. You've got some incredible people there. But let's not forget, you know, Hal Pudoff and, and Tom and Jim and all these other folks really helped the conversation start. Um, mm-hmm. And they they really, they they I, they. I believe they have their hearts in the right place, but you know, my, my expertise, um, I've never been an entertainment guy. I'm, I, I believe in what we call infotainment, which is if you can provide information in an entertaining way, but it's factual, I'm great with that. And I'd like to be, to be helpful in that endeavor, but pure entertainment, which by the way, brings a lot of good revenue to companies, right? Let's make, let's, let's, let's face it. You know, if you, you've got a bunch of investors and you owe them a return on investment, you have to find those business practices that return, you know, money back to back to the investors. And entertainment is one of those areas where you can make a pretty sizable profit if you do it right. And so without speaking for TTSA, TTSA has never made it a secret that they are focusing on the entertainment. You can look at their their intellectual property and realize that, you know, they're 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 heavy in that area. And that's not a bad thing because it helps socialize a conversation. That's just not my area of expertise. My my contributions, you know, allow me. I think we've we've accomplished our goal, like we did with History Channel. That that the decision not to to continue with this with the History Channel uh, was a joint decision by all of us. Uh, we weren't canceled. You know, a lot of people think, oh, you guys were canceled. Actually, we weren't. <laughs> you know, the show actually did pretty well. Um, but uh, you know, we we had accomplished our goal with that with that avid, with that particular venue. And the same thing with TTSA. Look, you know, the battlefield is constantly evolving and you constantly have to lift and shift your assets on the battlefield in order to achieve the mission. And a battlefield is never static. It's always a dynamic situation and you have to be able to react to to the battle space. I mean, this is this is the world I come from. This is it's like any other military or intelligence campaign. And of course, people are going to read into that. Ah, see, I told you it's a campaign. Please don't don't read too much what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that this has to be a well choreographed, well coordinated effort. And if you rest, you get too comfortable sitting on your laurels, then you you 
you may fail in the mission and and I don't ever want to to fail in this mission is too important. And so I've decided to take some of my, I, I still talk to those guys. I love, I love my friends at TTSA. We, we actually talk all the time and I still help them out. Of course I will. I love these guys and, and, and gals that are in the organization. Um, and I think they, they're going to do a lot of good. I think they can do a lot. Of, they, have done, they have done a lot of good. They can do a lot of good. And they will do a lot of good. Um, but I think my skill sets are just better used in a different capacity. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you have to, sometimes you have to divide to conquer, if that makes sense. And yeah. you have to take different teams on the battlefield and, and put them in different places to, to apply pressure in the right areas. You can't just, you know, what like the British learned a long time ago, you can't just march your entire army in rank and file and, you know, expect to win a battle. Battle, battle has evolved over, over the decades and, and, and centuries. So you have to evolve your tactics um, and, and, and develop new strategies as the battlefield is evolving, if that makes sense. Right. And you spiked the ball. I mean, you and Chris Mellon went in guns blazing and just look at what was accomplished in the past few years from a government uh, side of all this. And of course, like Tom was extremely transparent from the start that a huge part of this was going to be entertainment. So we get that. And, and, and that equation works. Uh, yeah. But, you know, again, you can't expect a hammer to do a screwdriver's job and vice versa. We're all a tool in this. And and Tom is a very specific tool, just like I am, just like Sean is, just like you are and everybody else, to get the job accomplished. So, um, you know, that, that would be my, my perspective anyways. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you and keep looking up. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, um, I'm glad you, you cleared that up because I know a lot of people want to know, like, the drama behind all of it. But, hey, business is business and strategy is strategy. So um, I have faith that you're all making these decisions for a reason to progress this, this issue and this topic. I'm not a drama guy, Ryan. I got to tell you, nobody <laughs> knows me. I, I, we're not drama people. Uh, you know, we're mission focused people. Um, I don't have time for drama. Um, if that's what people are interested in, then, you know, they can go tune into, into something else, but I, I'm not about, about artificial drama, manufactured drama. We've got enough challenges on our hands to have to, to involve ourselves in that that he said, she said stuff. Absolutely, brother. No time for it. Well, um, let's talk about something a little dramatic. And uh, a lot of people want to know this. What are your guys' thoughts on the entire Bob Lazar affair? Um, I didn't think this would come up, but it is. Um, there seems to be a huge disconnect between what this individual has claimed in the past and what ATIP is looking at. And there's such a gray area in between. If the government is looking at FLIR videos of a blurry UFO, and then you have a guy claiming he's worked on reverse engineered technology from extraterrestrials, like where do these things meet? So yeah, whoever wants to comment on that. That's a good question. Um, I think it's an opportunity for us to really examine what we expect um, to, to, to data mine from history and what we can really triangulate together. Um, I don't know Bob and I, I don't know the, the folks that work with him. And I don't mean to be silly when I say I, do, I don't know what happened for Bob. Um, I've always found him to be a very cogent and intelligent individual. He tells an incredibly interesting story that um, involves a lot of things that I just don't have any experience or enough evidence to bring to bear to it. So for me, it's an anecdotal experience. Um, and that has value, but I can't make the donuts with that. It's just no offense to Mr. Lazar, but it, it is a story without a triangulation of evidentiary value for me. Uh, anything to add to that, Lou? Uh, no, ditto. I, I don't know Mr. Lazar from anybody else. Um, I know tangentially his story, but really at ATIP, it didn't, we weren't concerned with it because it, there's nothing we could do with it. Um, you know, we, we were focused on the here and now, what is it, what is it impacting our, our military operational areas and our equities and our assets in real time? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Pat, people always say, well, why do I, how can you not look at the past information? And I've said this before, and I know it irritates people, but you know, in a court of law, that doesn't matter because if you don't have the, the quantifiable and qualifiable data to back it up, then it's useless. It's just that it's an anecdote. And, and it's not overly helpful when you're trying to get senior decision makers in the Department of Defense and the intelligence community to commit resources, authorities and assets yeah. to, to do something. You know, I can't just say, yeah, 
because he said it that it's just like me when I came out and people were like, well, who the heck is this guy? You know, he's got no evidence. Well, you have to bring evidence. You have to, you have to, you have to show the evidence. And in this particular case, you know, I, I've never seen any evidence, but truth be told, um, you know, in the government, we were very, very focused on the here and now. So I don't want to disparage anybody. I really don't have an opinion. People say, oh, is it good? Is it bad? I don't have any because I don't have any information. I, 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 to me, it's it's no different than someone off the street coming up and saying, "Hey, Lou, uh, I saw something interesting yesterday." I'll listen. I could riff off but, 10, 10 ideas for you, but I, I'm not going to do that. And the reason that I'm not going to is because my my imagination, based around the Mr. Lazar's story, it, that if I were to do that, that would inform people who are who who don't move their chest and checker pieces too much farther forward and want other people to give them answers. And I don't have answers for I don't have other people's answers for them. I agree with that. I, I agree with Shauna wholeheartedly. Well, here Sarah on Twitter asks. Uh, we keep hearing that the general public will have a hard time accepting or understanding the phenomenon if, when disclosure happens. So from both of your point of views, uh, what are some particular examples of what might upset the public and why do officials seem to get worried about it? I think that's another one of those areas that we have to be very careful in. Um, if I were to, if I were to lay out everything that I thought could go wrong, how many people would be focused on what could go right? Um, we've, we've seen, I'll, I will, I will, uh, I won't completely avoid, avoid some of the big examples. There are people who are concerned about their worldview when it comes to their religion, their personal moral view, the worldview of history in the past. Those things are things that we need the 8 billion perspectives of to come up with the proper, uh, reading of this. It's, it's not up to me or any other individual or group to, de to define these things. Whatever we're experiencing together is quite elusive. Um, as a whole, this is something that requires more eyes, more study. And um, as, as we get closer, possibly, to, to having more consensus together, then I think that we can, we can start uh, coming to some conclusions together. But right now, there are so many rifts, not, not only within the data, but within the communities of who's willing to speak to whom, who's willing to accept data from whom. Um, there are folks that lock... Uh, that lock me and Lou out of their worldview and their integrity view because they believe we're, we represent a system that to them has done them wrong. Right. And so therefore they demonize us immediately and we can't work together anymore. And we have data that I think they desire probably or, or observations and we desire their observations and data so that we can come to a proper conclusion, not a compartmentalized or partisan conclusion. I, yeah. I think, you know, I'll echo what Sean said, and I'll also add that you can take any issue du jour, right? Let's take COVID, for example, and this, this horrible global pandemic we're dealing with. And this is a very serious topic. And even that topic often polarizes people. It doesn't unite people, right? And so mm -hmm. um, we have to be very cautious. If there's anything that I think, we, I think we're seeing it, where we, people say, is there any information that, that, that can scare people or cause a divide? Well, yes, but it can also unite. And we're seeing that. And we have to be very careful because, you know, we're, we're not trying to weave necessarily a threat narrative. But I, I also don't want to, you know, weave a, a narrative of, of, of a false sense of security. I think that's equally as dangerous. And I think we have to be very careful 
how we collect and how we preserve and how we present the facts or the evidence in this case. And, um, you know, I, anytime you have a conversation, whether it's about religion, politics or anything else, you know, you're going to get some division. Uh, and this topic is certainly very, very, very personally and politically charged. It depends on where you sit on the fence and, and depends on, you know, whose team you're going to be on. And for me, I, I reject the entire notion of teams. I, I, I think it's ridiculous. You know, I think, I think we should all, all be working together for the truth. One, one team. It, it's one it's team. not an inescapable yeah. idea to have one team if we're honest with each other. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, again, that's why I'm into this topic of UFOs, because you can literally relate it to anything. Religion, politics, economy, psychology, soft science, hard science, what have you. Like this topic, this issue that you two have decided to pursue um, could change everything. And I I honestly believe that will happen someday. When? I don't know. Let me offer this up, because people keep saying, when are we going to have disclosure? Yes, please. This year, you just had the Department of Defense say that UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon, not unidentified drones, not unidentified aircraft, phenomenon, okay, are real and that we're videoing them to the point where we have established under the Deputy Secretary of Defense an official and formal UAP, not UAS, UAP task force. If, if you don't want a bigger indicator that the government is finally willing to play in this sphere, in this, in this, in this, this arena, I don't know how to get through to you. I, I, I can't. There's nothing I can do that convince people. I would say, look, you, you're living through disclosure now. It's happening. Don't, you're not waiting. You keep waiting for this magic tripwire to occur. Look back. It's already happened. It just happened. I and talk, it's continuing to occur. I talked to a lot of people who, who after hearing something similar to that, want to jump up and down and say, well, what about this incident? What about that incident, et cetera? So I, I'd be happy to sit here and say, well, I'm not a government spokesperson, but I'd be happy to say we've been investigating this for 70 years on and off. Yeah. And that fact isn't a fact to the known public. That's it is correct. not an understood fact that for all intents and purposes, the investigation has never ended, did not end, and is ongoing. Right. Now, I'm not a spokesperson for that, but that's as obvious to me as, as my own hand in front of my face. And so once we start getting those data points out as knowns to the majority of people, mm. the stigma is just going to melt away. That, that holy S moment that some of us have is, is powerful and it's long lasting, too. So we need to be careful of that. People who have thought this might be real for their entire lives, once confronted with the fact that this is real, period, full stop, it's it's a very sobering experience that has a lot of tangential uh, consequences. Yeah, absolutely. I think we have to keep in mind, like, the public at large doesn't read UFO books every day. They're not going to UFO websites. Uh, so even the small thing of a New York Times article saying off-world vehicle is gonna like blow people's minds, whereas someone like me is like, yeah, man, they've been saying that for seventy plus years, you know. Um, well, let's. You mentioned the UAP task force, Lou. I would love um, if you could share anything with us. Are you 
involved? Are they talking to you? I mean, you worked for the Pentagon and um, I understand you left for a certain reason and I completely understand your reason for that. But look, it's circling back now. It seems like they, they want to get involved. So are they using your five observables? Are they reaching out to you? These, these leaked reports that we saw, what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah. Give us your thoughts on UAP task force, if you don't mind. Uh, they are some of the finest human beings, um, I've ever, uh, I've, I've ever, um, had the privilege to know. Um, I, I can't speak on behalf of the task force. Um, and, uh, frankly, any relationship I may or may not have, um, at this point, I'm going to, to, um, keep personal. And, you know, a lot of people in this arena like to tout their connections because it gives them some sort of stature or status within the community. I'm not that guy. I, I frankly, excuse my language, I don't give a shit what you think about me. Um, I would never would have done this job if 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 I did. Um, you know, I, I knew the heat and flack I'd be taking. Um, you know, from an intelligence perspective, you always want to do things in a coordinated manner. Um, I'm not a kiss and tell kind of guy. I'm not going to talk about who I know and what my contacts are. Uh, the the UFO community is chock full of people like that. Frankly, most of them are, are liars. So um, I have no interest in that. I think I think if you want to know what kind of person I am, look for the deeds and and less my my words. Watch watch the, watch my actions, uh, you know. And if I disappoint you, then okay, then then you know, I, sorry. Um, but uh, I'm going to politely sidestep that question because um, you know I, I think there's enough people out there know what I'm trying to do who I'm working with, who I'm talking to. I, I, I don't need to, I don't need to, to, to reveal any of, of, of my, of my uh, contacts uh, uh, and who they, who they may be. I, I understand. This is a long game. I think people have to understand uh, disclosure in any form, big or small is a process. And there's a reason, you know, that you, you do that. And I, I completely understand that. Um, well, Sort of playing off of that, Lou, I have to ask, um, this is another big one, if you're willing to say anything on it. In an interview, you were asked if there was debris in the possession of the U.S. military or government, and um, your answer? You think the U.S. government has debris from a UFO in its possession right now? Unfortunately, Tucker, I I really have to be careful of my NDA. I really can't go into a lot more detail than that. Okay. But... Uh, simply put, yes. So is there anything you're willing to share in terms of, are we talking fragments? Is this something Krata is doing? Or are we talking like an intact craft? I know that's a big loaded question, but is there anything you can clarify on that? I'm going to have to politely um, just, uh, I I will restate for the record what I said, that uh, it is my my belief that uh, we, the United States government, uh, is in possession of, uh, of, of, um, of material. And I'll leave it at that. Um, I, I, I will not elaborate on that. Um, I okay. don't want to do anything to, to compromise, uh, any existing efforts. If those efforts are ongoing, um, you know, I, I've said before, we need to give people a lot of space right now. Uh, the U S government is coming to grips with this. Um, they have been, been cooperating in the disclosure process, I think a lot more than anybody would have expected in just three years. 
And I think we need to have patience with that. You know, I don't think we need to kick him in the teeth right now. I think we, I think we need to put a hand out and a hand on their shoulder and give him a pat on the back and say, Hey, you know, good job. I know it's tough. Um, you know, but we, we appreciate what you're doing. Uh, it took a lot of courage for people in the Senate and Congress folks and senior executives in the executive department to all admit that this is real and mm -hmm. to furthermore be proactive and try to figure something out and even more have a report to Congress in 180 days. I mean, do yeah. you, you think the world is watching? Of course they are. I mean, that's, we got to give them some space, man. Let's let's give them some room to breathe. Let's let's stop swarming them, and say, okay, look, you know, uh, we know you've got to do something, and and we'll, we're going to back off a little bit and let you give you time to try to figure this out. That's yeah. that's that's my perspective. Let's move back to uh, um, to Catalina for a second, if you guys don't mind. Um, uh, Gabby from Tijuana asks. Uh, was there ever any contact with Mexican government officials regarding the Nimitz incident? As a Baja resident, I can say that this area is known as a hotspot of sorts. And uh, to your knowledge, has the Mexican government collaborated in any way regarding this specific event? Anything you guys can share on that? Um, so when Sean and I went down there, we actually went a few times down to Mexico. And, and the, unfortunately, in the TV show, you just see kind of like the one time, but but uh, we, we were down there a few times and we did some reconnaissance and we talked to some people and we talked to all sorts of people from, from you know, fishermen and private citizens to uh, law enforcement and uh, governmental personnel. Um, sometimes the people in the government don't necessarily want to be on camera for obvious reasons, right? Uh, sometimes they're talking to you in an unofficial capacity and they can get in trouble. So we respect that. We protect anybody's identity who wants to be protected. If you want to provide information uh, uh, in a confidential manner and not expose who you are, then we honor that. I mean, you that's that's kind of like you in the media, right? You have a, a confidential source and you don't want to violate that trust. Um, I, I will speak for Sean. I'll tell you that we, we cast a very wide net. We talked to a lot of people. And what most people don't realize is for the 10 witnesses you might see on the show in, in one episode, we actually conducted 50 interviews. Uh, with 50 different people, and most of them never make the make the cutting room floor. It's just because you have too much information. You can't you can't squeeze in a in a 45 minute show, including you know of course advertisements, 10 hours worth of interviews. And for us, I think for me, certainly that's the most frustrating because we don't get to decide from the editorial perspective what makes and what doesn't. I'll tell you that there's times where there have been interviews that. Sean and I will look to each other and be like, how did that not make it in the show? That was, you know, one of the best interviews with the most compelling data. Um, but, you know, there's a bit of an art form there. And ultimately, you know, the editors get paid to make those those editorial decisions based upon content, based upon length, you know, based upon a lot of things. And so, um, you know, certainly for me, it was a learning experience. But I'll, I'll, I'll let Sean take that, that question over. At home, I have 50 pages of notes. I have gigabytes of, of video and, and, and photographic data from those missions. We call them missions. We're, we're mission oriented. We're ex-military. We're not afraid to talk that way. Right. So pardon me if I overuse uh, some of our, our acronyms and phrases. But um, when I'm on mission, uh, that investigation is mine. I own it. It's not Lou's investigation. It's not anyone else's. It's not History Channel's. So my investigation, you know, we it's how do I put it? Um, we're not messing around. We're, we're not making a TV show. 
there's there are cameras that are with us that are documenting an, right. an ongoing investigation and process of, of trying to bring new data out from a place that it's it's never been released from. And if we can't get that data out into the daylight, then perhaps we're going to be able to replicate that data. And there's a lot of people out there working on new um, sensor suites and, and, and optical systems to, to assist us. Because even if, even if we are able to replicate all that data, this is going on here and now for all of us. This isn't just happening to a handful of people. So the, any evidence that we can gather in any form and in any fashion is, I'm all for that. Well, I guess more of a, uh, I guess a philosophical question to kind of wrap things up here, guys. Um, there's a lot of talk about, Ryan asks this of um, Lou and Sean from Twitter. There's a lot of talk about technology and our progress trajectory playing a vital role in the phenomenon. As someone who works with AI and in tech, uh, what would you two advise thought leaders in Silicon Valley be wary of and why when dealing with this topic? Charlatans, bullshitters, people who say that they have an amazing secret that they want to share with them. It's going to change the world. Um, That's the first thing I would have people look out for because I have, pardon me again for being slightly aggressive, but the amount, the screen that I've had to put between myself and people who want to monetize my knowledge or my experience for their benefit and not for the greater benefit of humanity or the public gain. Um, It's really gotten in the way sometimes of getting the job done. Um, So I would, I would ask people to maintain evidentiary value at all costs, maintain um, openness and, and records and not give in to conspiracy theory, urban myth and legend. And, and whispers. Um, we're doing this in the open. Period. We're yeah. doing it in daylight. This is, it's not going to get anywhere otherwise. Totally. Um, I get that. Um, well, let's talk about, I guess, the, the, the UFOs or the UAPs um, in terms of the five observables, Lou, that you guys came up with and everything. Um, it seems that we never see the same UAP twice like it's very rare we try to put things in boxes or patterns but it seems that perception plays a huge role in all of this obviously but um with each sighting the craft seems to be unique so richard wants to know on twitter um does this imply that the phenomenon isn't as simple as beans i mean from one place uh or or yeah what are your guys thoughts on that more on a philosophical level i guess why are all uap snowflakes i guess Sure. Uh, well, but at the end of the day, a snowflake is still a snowflake, is it not? It's still bound by the same laws of physics and how crystals form. So in one one case, we can say, yeah, they're separate, distinct, and they seem to be individuals. And then another case there, that's why we have the five observables. The five observables are nothing new. You can go back to the reporting back to the 1940s, and that you can see those observables. They just never put those observables in a comprehensive category like we do in intelligence to explain the performance characteristics. Um, that was probably one of the, the, the greater contributions to ATIP at the time that we were able to apply using an intelligence lens, um, uh, a, a apply these commonalities. Okay, so yeah, you can say that the physical objects may or may not look the same, but uh, most of them perform 
very similar in those matters. They they all will have one to several of the display some of those observable characteristics of the five observables. Um, but you know, very few things in life you can take an airplane and compare that a biplane to an F sixteen. They're both airplanes. They both use the same physics, but they look fundamentally entirely different. Uh, they perform differently in some cases. Human beings, we're all human, yet we look different. You know, Sean's a six foot two, good looking guy, and I'm not. <laughs> you know, so uh, there, there are there are individual characteristics that I think you know you can go out on any highway today and look at a car, and you can see a a four by four pickup truck sitting next to a sports car. And they look fundamentally different. They sound different, uh, yet they still abide by the same physics. They have four wheels and they have tires and they have alternators and they have water pumps. And, you know, so um, I, I don't want to hypothesize too much. Um, there are some theories. Um, I, I don't think they're mature enough yet to um, to share on a broad to a broad audience because um I think more data is necessary and I'm careful. One thing uh, people notice, I'm very, very careful to not offer my personal thoughts on a lot of things because I don't ever want people to misconstrue a personal opinion with a fact that we have collected. Um, I think a lot of people make that mistake. They will overlay their own uh, personal view on something and what is a belief now becomes a fact. And I want to make sure that never make that mistake. Um, I've made mistakes before, and it's because we're human. And uh, those mistakes are usually a result of me allowing my analytic bias and overlay to influence my, my, my um, if you will, analysis of the data. And I, I, I really, really want to avoid that. I, I really try to have a lot of self-discipline in that area because I, it can be destructive if we're not careful. Sean, what do you think? I, I try to tell my friends to, to figure out what you want this to be. Spend time, sit down, use your imagination, bring your ego and your, and your wants into it and figure out exactly how you want this to look 10 years from now. Wrap it up nice and tight and put it up on the shelf and don't look at it anymore. Because if, if until we remove our bias from this, we're not going to know what it is. I often use the metaphor of a, of a coffee cup sitting in the middle of a gymnasium. And this, this, is, this doesn't have any graphics or anything on it, but there's a stain on this side. And you, could, you would have hundreds of people filling those seats in the gymnasium, and this coffee cup would be in the center. And there would be a great portion of that crowd that would never know there was a stain on the other side if they hadn't communicated with the people uh, in other parts of, of, the, of the room. So as you say, perspective is everything with this. We don't have enough data yet. If, if we were to ask what's powering that Toyota over there, we can't tell by looking at it. Um, if we ask the motive of the driver of, of the semi-truck, we're not sure um, what his motive is. Or even his destination, correct. <laughs> so I think it's best that we, that we try to take our own experience, ratchet it up a couple of notches, use our imagination and speculate for ourselves. But at the end of the day, don't identify or get tied up with any of this because it does seem to be a, a morphic phenomenon that doesn't hold still long enough for you to identify it. And it's not self-identifying as of right now. That's such a good point, man. I think, um, you know, a lot of us got into this field of study in research for personal reasons. And as much as we'd like to think it's an altruistic journey that we want the truth for, for all of humanity. Yeah, of course. 
Um, there are individuals out there who want that. And I think everyone should have a piece of that out there. But we're all in it because we want to know. We're given this one chance in these bodies or this consciousness or what have you to figure shit out while we're here. So why not, you know, try to find those answers uh, for you? And that might sound selfish, but at the end of the day, like we are in all we can control is ourselves in this you world. Can, you can believe what you want to believe at the end of the day. And if right. you're mature to not to want too hard, you might get the answers you're looking for. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, wrapping things up, gentlemen, um, Lou, you said in the past you want things to go global with this topic. We do look at it from a very Western perspective, um, especially here in America. And all my international listeners are always craving that. They're like, yo, we got stuff going on over here that would blow your guys' minds other than Roswell and um, Chicago O'Hare. So, um what can you give us in terms of that, guys? What comes next? Um, what's the next chapter in, I guess, each of your individual journeys for for all of this? Well, I think it's safe to say that we are well into uh, a, a good, smooth shift into second gear. Now, a lot of people say, what the heck does that mean? Well, again, I'm a car guy, I'm kind of a gearhead. So it just simply means in a manual transmission, you're going from first gear, starting neutral, not going anywhere to now going into first gear. Well, now I think we're going into second gear. And second gear, you know, first gear was was making this conversation palatable from a, a media perspective, from a governmental perspective, from a, a, a civilian perspective, right? And, and now you've got military eyewitnesses coming out of the woodworks. They've all put their credibility on the line. You've got reporting going to where it needs to go. You have policies being made. You have the establishment of a task force. You have Congress being briefed. Government's being briefed and the government is now finally involved, like like the way it should be. And by the way, involved in an open way. So so that's huge. Now, second gear is doing exactly what we have done and now taking it to the global stage, going, going to the world and working in a way where other governments are doing the same. We just saw Japan come online and enter into an intelligence and information sharing agreement with the U.S. government on UAP technology, but there's a lot of other governments that want to do the same. Um, you know, maybe there is, without giving away too much, maybe there's an international body that uh, would want to sponsor some sort of uh, international endeavor, right, um, across the planet. And there's only a few of those, if, if you, if you, you know, <laughs> you know what those organizations are, uh, that can pull it off. Uh, because I think this is a global conversation. We've always thought, we've always thought that, that we've always said that. So why not do it. Why not bring the conversation globally and have the world provide their perspectives? Because at the end of the day, you know, we 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 may learn a thing or two talking to our, our brothers and sisters in South America and Latin America and in Europe and in Asia and in India and in, yes, China and even Russia. Um, you know, maybe we can put politics aside for just just a sh- few short moments and have a conversation that really involves humanity at this point. And, and not just individual countries. So um, I'm not going to go much further into that um, because obviously uh, uh, <laughs> we, we do have a very well thought out blueprint and plan. Uh, most people realize we don't do things haphazardly, at least most people realize by, that by now for sure, hopefully, um, that we, we we're very deliberate. Um, and, you know, I, we mean what we say. We're, we're, we're in this to, to make a difference. Um, and to make make uh, 
make a change in the way we've been looking at this topic for so long. I'm, I'm going to shut up now. Let Tom, uh, Tom let uh, <laughs> let Sean uh, finish that up. Luke, I love it. We've, I love had, it. A, we've had a we've had an interesting uh, week together. Let me put it that way. We've been able to solidify some aspects of our relationship that we've been looking forward to. You're looking at two people that we're, we're not going to stop. It doesn't matter where the issue takes us. It doesn't matter uh, which one of us runs ahead, goes lateral, brings on other team members. We're not quitting. We're going to be working together. And if, if one of us can't move forward, the other one's going to pick the ball up and run. Yeah. Um, and, and we're just we're looking for more folks that can handle that kind of uh, that kind of mission, I guess, that, that are willing to step up and say, yeah, we, we have something we want to do. and We're not going to quit till we're done. Period. I think you're going to see the, the this sphere of of individuals that we're involved with continue to expand and grow. There's people that we talk to behind the scenes that at some point may become public. Um, you know, we're we're uh, we're not static. We're we're trying to evolve with the battle space. Um, you know, Sean and I work very well together. We've got a lot of other people that are behind the scenes that we work very well with. Um, you know, I. I you're having a conversation with just two of us, but there's a whole lot more people that are involved. And I think uh, probably in the future, those, those some of those individuals are going to come to light. You'll, you'll, you'll see that, you know, folks like Chris Mellon, which everybody knows who is an amazing human being, but there's a lot of other people. I feel like I'm crowd surfing with geniuses. <laughs> That's Excluding awesome. me. I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone plays their part though. And, you know, like, I think, it's awesome that like when you look at the UFO community, you know, which is a subculture uh, like any other one, um, there are some bright minds there. We're not talking like tinfoil hat wearing people who said they've met a million races of aliens. Like we're talking some of the brightest individuals, um, scientists, technologists, uh, military intelligence uh, coming together. So I know there's a lot going on behind the scenes with both of you with this uh, endeavor, with this sort of journey. So um, I guess to kind of wrap it up, is there anywhere that uh, viewers and listeners can go to reach out to you guys if they feel like they could help in this, uh, this pursuit? Well, Luis and I are both on Twitter. Um, I believe Lou is at Lou Elizondo. Is that correct? Yep. And uh, I'm at Minty Hyperspace. Uh, I also have a website that archives my, my previous uh, um, interviews and such for people that are that are wondering about the background because I don't often rehash things. And that's the same, MintyHyperspace.com. Um, but I'm, I'm always willing to, uh, to interact. And I know Lou, though he's uh, a lot more busy than I am, he interacts as much as he can. And by the way, we do read each post. I know people will ask themselves, well, they're never going to read this. Actually, we do. Um, a lot of times we're just we don't have have the the time necessary to provide a comment, and I'm not one that's just going to put a haphazard comment. I, you know, if someone asks me a sincere question, I, I want to be able to explain it. And sometimes I get long winded um, just because I want to be thorough. I want to be comprehensive. I don't want to give somebody just a yes or no answer because right. I think if they took the time to ask a question, you know, they deserve the time to get a thoughtful answer. And so. Uh, you know, that's my greatest frustration with social media is that I can't, I don't have the time necessary to address each and individual, everybody's questions. But for anybody who knows me, I read them all. And, and I think they're all very valuable. And what I try to do is over the weeks and months following that, I try to answer the, a lot of those people's questions, uh, you know, in a podcast like this, 
where if somebody, five, six people have the same question, then I'll try to work it into a, into a narrative during a podcast so I can answer their question. I may not be able to, yeah, do it on social media, on Twitter, type it out, but, but at least I've addressed it, you know, in, a, in like an interview like this. Right. And I think we, we, we certainly appreciate that, that you guys are willing to be so open and transparent with us. Cause um, you know, I think when, when to the stars first came around and we learned about ATIP and, and everything uh, I think the UFO community felt a little like we were getting left behind. Like we weren't going to be a part of the discussion, but you've made it very clear that this is a process and you did what you had to do when you had to do it. And now you're going on all these shows and talking to us. So I, I certainly appreciate that. I know a lot of my listeners do. We covered maybe 12 questions of 300 something. So I'd love to get you guys back on at some point, but um, yeah, we really only scratched the surface, but I want to thank you both for your time. I know you're running on fumes at this point, so please go do what you got to do. But um, just know that I personally, I'm in your corner. I'm ready to fight um, for what you guys are doing. I know there's a lot of people out there that think, Lou, you know, uh, you're just here to disinform. You're working with uh, with the intelligence to uh, to do this and that. But man, I've never, I've never seen that from you. I got a gut feeling your intentions are there and I can just hear it. I can hear it in the passion that you bring. I mean, dude, if, if, if I, I would be the most hated man on the planet, if, if, if I were doing this and it turns out I was some sort of, some sort of psyop or, or disinformation operation, I would be the most hated person on the planet. Um, you know, I think my military record speaks for itself. I've, I've never done anything to deceive the American public. Um, we deceive the enemy a lot. You know, that was our job. But we never did that with the American public, and it's a commitment. I, it's you don't you don't do that thing, you know, to 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 the American taxpayer. That's that's we we, we protect the American taxpayer. We don't hurt them. Um, but you know, hopefully, again through action, not words, people will begin to realize. And you know, I'm not a threat. What I'm a threat to is status quo. That I will tell you, I'm very much a threat to, uh, and that's caused some problems for me in the past, uh, especially with with the U.S. government. Um, but, um, no, I, I, I don't think, I don't think the community has anything to worry about me. Uh, but then again, you know, they, they got to decide for themselves. I'll, I'll address the elephant in the room. The, the day I met Lou, as soon as we got our microphone packs off, the first thing I said to him was tell me we're the good guys. Are we the good guys? And I, and I made, I was very serious about finding out that this was not someone else coming out of government with a couple of details that they were going to try to try to pad their purse with. And I put Lou through hell proving that to me. Uh, I, that's, that's my perspective, but he, he at no point did his integrity ever waver. So I'm fully committed to this effort. For me, it starts with, with my friendship with him, but that's a stepping off point for me to commit myself to something for the remainder of my life, frankly. Well, I have to thank both of you guys for taking the risks you have to get us to this point, because it is, I honestly believe this is a turning point for this topic, this issue. Everyone can feel it. And it has a lot to do with what you guys have done. So from the bottom of my heart, for someone who's been doing this since I was 13 years old, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing, what you will Ryan, thank you for what you're doing. It's, again, a team effort. We can't do what we do if you're not doing what you do, and you can't do what you do if your audience doesn't do what they do. So, again, this is really a team effort, and thank you for everything, and, and thank you for your time today. 
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.